welcome back to another episode of Sacred Cinema here on 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio. This week's episode is entitled Robert Altman's America. Yes, very excited to be back. Uh, regular loyal fans of the show would know that it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded an episode of Sacred Cinema. And those of you that follow me on the social media platforms, uh, if you'd like to do that, you can jump on Instagram, uh, search Jimmy underscore Bernasconi uh, to follow me. Uh, I've been overseas, haven't I? I've been in the United States of America, a very exciting trip, uh, really enjoyed it, um, achieved a lot over there, uh, and I'm very excited to provide some really interesting episodes coming up, um, but all will be announced uh, very soon. Uh, but I really want to talk about my observations, obviously, you know, every, anyone that comes away from a trip wants to tell everyone all about it, uh, but obviously this is a movie show, if you are new to the show, this is a film in which we... Take a look at some sociological issues or philosophical or uh, anthropological, psychological topics or uh, concepts and, and, and look at what the history of cinema can provide. What kind of insights can the history of cinema can provide us in relation to those concepts or issues? And I really want to talk about America. Uh, I think we could do there's all sorts of movies about America, but I think we've never done any films by Robert Altman. And he does a lot of, he's done a lot of films about different, specific different areas of America. In particular, he did a whole film about Nashville and I did go to Nashville and it's one of the most favorite places that I went on this trip. Uh, so I figured, why don't we have a look at his filmography, or at least three films from his filmography, uh, to chat about, you know, what, what has Robbie got to say about America? Um, but before we do, I just wanted to sort of, sort of define what we mean by America, I suppose, this week. I mean, we could say, you know, just America is, is what it is, you know what America is, but, but let's, not, let's try and remember what rem- America was all about when it was constructed. The United States of America is a political entity. It was this land, for, of la- land of the free. It was a place where any individual could go who wanted to make something, who wanted to manifest their destiny. That's what they say. It was a place where no matter what your background is, no matter what your religion, no matter your race, you could go there and make whatever you want of yourself. It was, you know, you know, it transcended, um, you know, monarchical t- tyranny and, and and traditional society. It was a place where you know capitalism and, and, and free markets thrived. A place where individual people could go and sort of make something of themselves, no matter who they were, no matter what their their their, their um the, the the history of their life was at that point. Um, and and sort of, I suppose this week we want to question that. To, to what extent does America achieve that, and to what extent does it does it remain that sort of thing, or at least in, in what senses um, does it remain like that? In what sense is it still, uh, you know, the home of the free individual, endowed with all of the rights that uh, all the natural rights that that uh, you know I don't remember what their constitutional declaration of bill of rights blah 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 says, but you know that that idea of being endowed with you know, a, a series of uh, civil liberties. And in order to explore that, we're going to chat, of course, uh, about uh, the 1975 film from Altman, uh, Nashville. We're then going to move on to the 1992 film, The Player. And then we're going to finish off with the 1993 film, Short 
cuts. Um, so without any further delay, let's get stuck in uh, this week. I, I suppose I should mention as well, like obviously this is through the filter of Robert Altman. These are, these are questions or these are insights that Mr. Altman can provide us with. But I, I also do want to sort of briefly talk about my own sort of observations in relation to some of the things that I lifted up in these films as well. So this is both through the filter of Robert Altman and my own filter, as every episode is. Uh, so I'm aware of that, dear listener. Um, but let's not delay uh, this episode any further. Let's get started now with Nashville from 1970. So if you don't know much about this one, uh, the premise is, is it's pretty much like this, I, I guess I've described it as a, like a frenzy of unique individuals. It's this big frenzy of musicians and politicians and, um, you know, important members of society, American society and, 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 in, and in Nashville, Tennessee as well. Um, essentially, there's a big political conference um, that's going to take place. But you know, if you've been to Nashville, there's lots of, you know, there's the Grand Ole Opry and, and there's lots of musical uh, music venues and, and, you know, people going out drinking, people going out playing music. So it's sort of this big frenzy of uh, this very eclectic group of people all wheeling and dealing, shaking hands and doing all sorts of things. I, I, in a weird kind of way, when I watch this film, um, it kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Caddyshack in a weird sort of way, just like this, this like all these sort of um, interesting, funny little moments. It, it is quite a funny film. Uh, and there's lots of those, like, you know, I, I feel like um, Altman has this sort of, trick that he does that, that that also happens a lot in Caddyshack where like there'll be two people talking they're kind of a bit weird a bit quirky and then one of them will say like a really absurd line and then there'll be a quick cut to the next scene like that happens a lot in this film like there's, there's a bit where a guy jumps in a car he's like hey you remind me of a guy from the Navy yeah he never really wa- you know never really washed his feet and then it just cuts to another scene and, and like because that quick cut is sort of meant to evoke like a, a sort of like an outburst of laughter that like it's kind of funny that we're not going to resolve that weird thing that someone just said uh, so it is quite a funny movie it's definitely making fun I think a lot um, of the people in the film, uh, but just to, to begin with, in a general sense, we do have this this atmosphere of a frenzy uh, of all very quirky, unique people that have their own unique uh, identities. And this is something we've talked about a lot on the show: the idea of all people being their own. Uh, kind of weird. There are no two people that are the same in this world, uh, even the most banal, uh, even people that belong to the same political groups, that belong to the same religious groups. They all have their own unique species of um, who they are, right? Everyone, sorry, everyone is their own u- known unique species in a way. Everyone is their own, th- th- a very specific personality. And this is certainly something that, just to, to go on um, a bit more about my own personal experience, as, as someone that's watched the news uh, pretty incessantly for the last, uh, since the last time I was in America, which was, I think, 2013, um, I think so much in the media, and, and maybe this isn't an, an America-centric thing, but but we very easily, and I do see this a lot on social media, particularly with a lot of political pundits and things like that, lumping people in and assuming that they believe the same thing because they might vote for the same person or because they uh, watch the same movies or something like that. Uh, I, I see it a lot, actually, in, uh, like political pundits often, often do things like, so let me get this straight, uh, Republicans like this thing and they like this thing. How do those two things go together? Or like, Democrats want this, but they also want this. And it's like, well, they're not all the same people. And I found that, particularly when I was in Tennessee, I spent quite a bit of time in Tennessee on this trip. And even amongst like conservatives, um, they all had their own unique breed of conservatism. And then it was the same when I went 
to other parts, more liberal parts of the country. Uh, and I, I suppose I specifically want to emphasize that experience in Tennessee because I think very often it is, or at least in my specific echo chambers on social media, I, I do see a lot of the same kind of like, you know, all Republicans, all people who voted for Trump think this. And I, I, every single person had a very unique political stance and they and they had, they had differed and they disagreed with who they voted for on specific issues. And it was just a very refreshing experience for me to realize that. And I think this film actually, in a very comedic way, does lift that up from the start. Um, but, and in exploring this idea of, of, of unique individuals having their own unique quirks, we also lift up this idea that every individual has their own unique internal contradictions or hypocrisies uh, and and you could sort of look at any given character in this film uh, and they do have sort of some kind of like internal um, contradiction like a, and a classic one in the film is that one of the characters she's a singer um, but her children you know they, they, this isn't so much an internal contradiction in her viewpoint but she is sort of like a there's a, there's a sense of there's, there's an oxymoronic or ironic um, element to her character in that she's a singer but she has deaf children uh, there's another character who's sort of this establishment type um, you know uh, southerner but she's got this like kind of obsessive uh, this is obsession with the Kennedys who are you know famously uh, you know Democrats uh, and there's all sorts of other funny things there's a there's a there's a black singer who's um, he performs country music to a very obviously to a very all white crowd and he has a, a black friend that sort of points out you know uses a term that I'm not going to use on the show here but every sort of character has some kind of um, obstacle that kind of negates the dominant trait uh, that they might um, that they might embody um, from a very sort of superficial uh, view of who they are. So uh, th I think this sort of gets into this interesting uh, dilemma that America has as a nation of these kinds of people, which is America is a very proud place, right? And, and, and when you have pride, it means you stand up for what you believe in. Um, but if you stand up for something and then turn around and do something that negates that or goes against that, that, that can spark sort of a sense of, well, what's, what's really going on here? And, and this, this concept of pride is, I mean, this, uh, the pride in America, uh, this sort of Americana, um, um, iconography and, and imagery is, is very much, um, emphasized at the beginning of this film, uh, with all the parades and the pageantry and the, you know, the, the marching bands and, and even the opening song in the film, all right, there might not be the opening song, but one of the, the, the first songs, uh, is this thing about like, if it's last for 200 years, we must be doing something right. And it's this idea that, you know, America, America's identity and the construct of America is something that has, um, you, you know, you can't deny its progress. You can't deny its benevolence or its um, its positive impact on the world if it's lasted this long. And if we if we sort of fast forward in history to, to the modern era or, or to contemporary times, this is a frustration in modern America still, which is this this great sense of pride. You know, looking up at the flag in and 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 what's that? What they think they do? That the allegiance, their pledge of allegiance in this flag, knowing that there are so many social injustices, like there are in every country. But but America is such a proud country. Yet it, there are so many things wrong with it, and there are so many people that are disenfranchised and disenchanted with the American experience that there, there is this sort of internal tension, this this inter these 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 sort of um, inconsistencies that I think result in or amount in this 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 kind of absurd um, environment, and and I think Nashville. Um, the, the, the place of Nashville or, or the setting of this film through um, Altman's 
um, a depiction of it, it, it sort of represents kind of like this absurd corner or this absurd pocket of America in a way. And when I use that word absurd, I, I'm referring to it in that kind of, um, specifically in that 20th century sense. So if, if you're familiar with um, Altman's other work, particularly in, in the 1970s, and I'm thinking specifically of MASH here, um, he kind of does have that Joseph Heller vibe to what he does. And when I say Joseph Heller, I mean specifically Catch-22. And when we refer to Catch-22, you know, something that is internally um, inconsistent, something that is um, internally a, a contradiction of itself um and, 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 and i mean specifically that i mean when, I, when we did catch 22 in high school that i remember our teachers said things like you know don't don't watch the movie of catch 22 watch mash right watch the robert altman film mash that's kind of like the the unofficial um movie version of the, the book catch 22 and and i think so altman has this sort of cynicism towards american um systems and american institutions that that, that 1970s let's poke fun let's laugh at um, these things that were that are supposed to be established that are supposed to be sacred and of course you know nashville tennessee is is full of sort of a you know you know so southern gentlemen that understand or i don't want to do the wrong to do the wrong accent there but th th there's a lot of characters that, that are sort of establishment types um, that are laughable right that they, they stand for something and they're proud and, and proud of themselves and proud and have pride in things that don't hold up on their own that there are, are internal inconsistencies but the film doesn't stop there, right? Like I, I said before that, you know, it's got, it's got a bit of Caddyshack about it. It's got a bit of mash about it. And, and there's a lot of films of this era throughout that decade from 1970, 1980 that are, that are poking fun at the everyday and are poking fun at the establishment. This film goes a lot further than that, though particularly by the end of the film and I, and I don't want to give I don't want to give this I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't watched it so uh, if you haven't watched the film you are going to watch it maybe tune out now um, but basically this 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 gallery of internal inconsistencies of oxymoronic characters does sort of um, generate uh, this this sort of sense of of, of popularism um, or, or revolution, and 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 that running throughout the film is sort of the echoes of this 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 mysterious politician who has these very these very populist um, motherhood generic statements that aren't particularly ideological. They're just sort of generally anti-establishment, um, you know, extremely pragmatic. The kinds of things that you know maybe uh, an uneducated person uh, might say at the kitchen table out of frustration with with the system, you know, in in ignoring or neglecting the nuances of, of political discourse. And so we, we are in this sort of territory of, um, you know, all, all these sort of moving uh, moving objects and moving people, things being very chaotic. Thing, you know, there's, there's, car, there's this sort of motif of, of car crashes throughout this film. So we know it's building to sort of this, this moment of, or this climax of destruction. And we do get, get that by the end. Um, of the film uh, in there being an assassination and throughout there's hints of that throughout the film uh, there's, there's references to JFK as, as I've already mentioned and, and I think one of the things one of the questions that the film tackles is this question of um, who is this specific or what is this specific agent of chaos is it just you know uh, a bunch of people spinning spinning out and uh, crashing into each other or, you know can we can we identify um, or personify this agent of destruction and the selection that Altman makes I think is is really profound so the guy that actually pulls the trigger is kind of this uh, unassuming familiar dude like in amongst all the musicians and everything throughout the film he just looks like like another young guy that's gone to nashville to make it as a musician and he carries around um this guitar case the entire film and it's very unassuming uh, i mean if you're a perceptive viewer you kind of think you know guitar case he's not whipped it out yet uh he keeps telling people to like not pick it up and you're wondering what's actually inside and you kind of pick up that it's probably a gun inside and it is
is. But I think, and, and, and it's sort of simplistic a metaphor as that is, I think it's definitely worth you know, articulating, or at least articulating what I think it represents. And, and, and in a way, by having the guitar case um, holding a gun inside it, there's this idea from that that, that that comes from that, which is that, that the instrument of destruction is often disguised as a literal everyday instrument, like a literal familiar instrument or like a literal musical instrument, like the thing that does the damage, uh, you know, the the thing that causes revolution, the thing that will cause destruction is actually something that is hidden in plain sight. And the guy that does it, the person that does it is just an everyday person. So when we often think about destruction and revolution and chaos, we often might have images in our head of a a crazy dude running around with a machine gun going nuts, uh, like a Joker type figure. But very often it's the case that it's someone that's within that, that's internal to that system, that's within that community, that is someone that is is merely just experiencing the everyday and the result of the everyday in all its absurdity, in all of its chaos, results in him spinning out and and and, and you can't see it coming in a way because it is uh, very much hidden in plain sight. Um, and, and on top of that, uh, in, in on top of this this interesting statement about revolution and populism and and, and revolution, um, Alban decides that the, 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 the decides to make the revolution actually against not a political leader, but but a, but a concept we've talked about a lot on the show, which is which is a cultural leader. So in the context of Nashville, which is you know the music city, uh, he he assassinates not a politician, not JFK, but a singer or or two singers, and so it sort of aligns the cultural leaders with the political leaders, so as to say that our cultural leaders can have just as much power uh, over the masses, or at least in the in the minds of an assassin, as a political leader. So this sort of lifts up this idea of the significance of cultural power, which is something we've talked about a lot on the show, and it's, a, it's something that Altman talks a lot about uh, in the next film we're going to talk about, which is The Player from 1992. Uh, but before we do, just remind you, you are listening to 2XXFM here on the 98.3 uh, FM Frequency. Uh, a reminder to jump onto our website to consider sponsoring the show or any of our wonderful shows here on 2XX or uh, subscribing to the station. And please stay tuned for more quality radio programming coming up uh, after uh, this episode of Sacred Cinema. Uh, but moving on now to The Player. If you haven't seen this one, um, this one stars Tim Robbins and he's a studio ex- big, big wig studio exec uh, in some Hollywood studio and he uh, it gets all these like weird postcards from someone who is threatening to kill him because he rejected their script. They're the, they're, he assumes they're a screenwriter, and that they, well, I think they say they're a screenwriter, and they reject. He rejected their script many years ago, and they they're going to assassinate him out of this act of revenge. And we spend most of the film sort of unpacking uh, or discovering the extent to which um, Tim Robbins's character is this sort of manipulative, exploitative, big wig studio exec. And there's a lot of little things that happen in the film that we could talk about, but. I I specifically want to talk about the, the the big reveal, the big twist. So again, if you haven't seen this one, maybe tune out here and come back after you've seen the film. Um, but basically, I, to me, the way I've interpreted uh, the climax in this film and in rewatching it is that is the idea that, that that there is a there is a great deal of power in manipulation in the Hollywood system, in the Hollywood machine, that that deceit and betrayal and exploitation and that these sinful acts have a great deal of power. Sure, that, that that's a really uh, important aspect of this film and that, that, that the way that the guy that's um, concocting this entire 
um, uh, ruse um, throughout the whole thing has has clearly realized that um, by by manipulating Tim Robbins, who in and of himself is a manipulator, uh, that's how you win in Hollywood. And the way that you win in Hollywood is 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 is, 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 is through toxic means, and and it sort of it sort of shines a spotlight on Hollywood. Is this? It's you know, it's not it's not a it's not a glitzy land. It's actually a land of people. It's a doggy dog world. It's it's disgusting. It's something that is full of betrayal and deceit. But I think there's actually something that we can say that's a little bit more broader than that about um, sort of viewing Hollywood as as a machine um, of cultural influence. So yes, the film is about Hollywood, but but what is Hollywood? Um, I sort of say we've, I've talked about this. We, we did a Hollywood specific episode uh, on the show, uh, but but I do sort of see it as this massive machine of cultural influence that does have a massive impact on 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 not just people's you know people in the cinema, but the way that people act that that art changes people's lives. So we do have to sort of question sort of the nature. Uh, or this film actually questions, I think, um, in watching it, we question the nature of cultural power. When we question Hollywood, we're questioning the nature of cultural power. And and in unpacking this concept, um, it, and, and the fact that the guy that is doing, you know, the, the ultimate manip- the act of the ultimate act of manipulation in this film, being a writer himself, this lifts up this idea that those in control can often or can easily be members of the group that are seemingly under control because you know writers throughout this film are depicted as the victims but a writer is the ultimate perpetrator in this film and so in another sense the ultimate bad guy is the guy holding the bad guy accountable right the writer who is the ultimate player the ultimate puppet in this scenario is the one holding tim robbins who we think the whole time is the bad guy He's the one holding him accountable. So the, the guy holding the bad guy accountable, we might assume, is, is, would make him a good guy. No, he's also a bad guy. Um, so so it, it, I, I think we've talked about it again. We've talked about this a lot on the show when we talked about like false prophets and things like that and, and male victimhood and female victimhood and different depictions of victimhood in cinema. But the idea that the, 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 the trick to power can often be um, or is very often not declaring one's own sense of power. The ultimately powerful people are the ones that don't signal, don't herald that they are powerful because then people know uh, to steer clear of them, to, to avoid them. So we've talked a lot in this in this week's episode about power and the powerful and the impacts of of the powerful and how people react against the powerful and elites and and and, and sort of you know how the everyday masses might uh, react to those those sorts of people what about just the population in general can we talk about the american populace in general well in order to do that i want to finish off now with shortcuts from 1993 and in some ways this, this is kind of the splicing of nashville and the player in the sense that nashville's all it's about this sort of eclectic web of individuals and that's very much what we get in shortcuts uh, but it's also set in LA uh, which which is where the player is set so it, and also it's 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 it was it was made a year after the player so so Altman's style sort of shifted uh, between the 70s and the 90s in a, in a couple of ways and and sort of I do sort of see it as the kind of the natural um, uh, the synthesis of those two films in, in a lot of ways um, but speaking of that sort of interconnectedness that we that we talked about um, in Nashville or at least you know this web of individuals shortcuts emphasizes the interconnected the interconnectedness of all of these individuals and it's very much like a film like Magnolia in fact when you watch a film like this you kind of got to wonder why Magnolia got made in a way because it's also set in LA and they're so similar in so many ways um, in one particular way that I'm going to explore in a little bit more detail in just a second but if you've not seen the film basically follows like 
all these different, you know, it's all star cast and they're all doing different things. And you might sort of wonder what, you know, why is it an interesting film to watch? Like, what are they all dealing with? I, I think you could actually describe like what a lot of these characters are dealing with. Um, and they don't like know each other, by the way. It's sort of just in, a, in the same way as like Magnolia. There's just kind of these like serendipitous sort of like moments where they interact or this person de- delivered this person a package and this person knows this person because they ran him over by a, with a car saying da 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 da. So they don't really know, they're not that intimate with each other, but they're all interconnected. And but but what makes it interesting is a lot of the dilemmas that these individual characters are dealing with. I, I would describe them as a sort of a lot of those sort of like what would you do if this happened moments. So you know when like you're driving your car down the street, and you're like you, you imagine what, what would happen if I knock someone over right now, or, or you might ask you know or other situations like you know when you're um you might get really angry at a stranger and you have that sort of moment which is like what if they were having like a really really bad day? Like what if their kid just died and you start yelling and screaming like i i feel like a lot of these moments were not familiar in terms of things that i've done but things that i was like man what would happen if i actually found out that you know this person had done this thing and or you know i, I think it does, it does sort of hypothesize a lot of those um very sort of like fundamentally um difficult um everyday dilemmas that people might have um, so they're all, all the characters are dealing with their own individual lives, but I think what's really powerful about this film and, 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 and you know, I think Oldman has been quite, is quite deliberate in, 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 um, in doing this is, is showing that this, this very eclectic group all sort of sit under one umbrella. And this is a very Magnolia thing as well with the, you know, you know how they, you know, the frogs rain and everyone's affected by it. There's, there's sort of two moments that bookend the film as, as things that affect everyone. So it's to sort of lift up this idea that no matter how unique you are, we all do have to live in this one society together. We all are affected by this one thing life and there's a singer in this film and she actually sings a song throughout the film about being a prisoner of life so i suppose a way to describe this film is 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 meditating on the prison of life uh in all our own unique experiences um so i i i suppose when we when we when we look at the film um we have to sort of question where everyone sits in between these two bookends um well, the first bookend by the way is this this um this like this big chemical spray from all these helicopters and the second one is this this big earthquake um and so at any given time all of the characters are facing um varying degrees of different things like like tragedy or love or betrayal or laughter or self-hatred or pain they're all they all it's, it's kind of you could say that every single character feels all of those emotions throughout the film but at varying degrees so it does sort of lift up this idea that you know um um that you know, whenever you're in a moment, or, or you you define the culture or the cultural climate, which is something we do on this show a lot. Whenever you define the cultural climate, as being, you know, saying you know it's a happy time, you know, Christmas is a happy time, or or you know, I, I'm happy to be alive at this point in history. This film kind of lifts up the fact that like when you're happy. Someone else is really, really sad, or someone else is going through a lot uh, that lives just around the corner. Or Ericly, when you're feeling terrible and the world feels like it's the worst place in the world, there's someone else that's like having the time of their life. And so the film sort of lifts up this tension between we all live in this single society together, but no two people have the same experience. So into tying all of these films that we've talked about together, because I feel that like that while they're very different, there are some very clear similarities. We should ask ourselves, you know, what what can Robert Altman teach us about modern America? Well, I think a way to actually do that is to compare the end songs of the first and last films that we've talked about this week. So Nashville ends with this this very bittersweet song. Um, 
it don't worry me, which has this very bittersweet. Uh, it's after the assassination, and everyone, you know, everyone, and it's there's a, there's a there's a gospel choir, and there's a there's a there's a woman who's kind of been downtrodden the whole film, singing the song, and you're kind of wondering like, this is kind of tragic in the sense that like you should be worried about the state of America, but it's it's also like a, a sense of you know no no let's let's get over this, we can do it. It's this sense of optimism, this sort of call to arms, no matter how bad things get, you know, don't let it worry us, we can get over it. America has this constant tension of things need to be fixed um, and that things are really tragic and things need to be fixed, but I know that we can fix them or we, we have no choice but to try and fix them. And and to sort of bring the player into this, I suppose you could say that part of why that is really hard to do is because no one really knows where power sits in America. Just when you think you know where it is, it's somewhere else, right? And as hard as that is to navigate, I feel like Shortcuts reminds us that it's really important that we remember that no two Americans have the same lived experiences. They can all have similar experiences at different points in time, but it truly is a land of individuals. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Sacred Cinema. I've been your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, here uh, on 2XX 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, consider jumping onto the 2XX FM website to sponsor the show or any of 2XX's quality radio programs. Uh, also, you can you can consider subscribing to the station while there as well. But keep listening live or listen on our website uh, for more quality programming, and we'll see you again 